Well, bless the name of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us come to one community church and to witness across this whole weekend 120 baptisms. Don't ever take that for granted. God is alive, God is doing well, and God is blessing through through this church. What an amazing, amazing thing that he's doing here. Um, I give honor to God for the pastor of this church, Dr. Conway Edwards, his lovely wife Jada, for every life that has been changed, bettered through their ministry. If you've been encouraged, would you give God praise for your leaders? Amazing, amazing, amazing. And then this couple from Chicago, my wife's from Chicago, so I knew y'all was anointed, man. I, home of Garrett's Popcorn. Uh, amen. Anybody know anything about Garrett's? If you don't know anything about Garrett's, don't die and go to heaven without having some. Tell the deaf angel to hold off until you can get some Garrett's popcorn. Amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please meet me in Matthew chapter 11. There is a word from the Lord um, that uh, he's going to encourage and challenge us with today. Matthew chapter 11. Pick me up in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew writes, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John, that's John the Baptist, what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, a prophet, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. One more time, verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I want to talk to y'all from the subject, becoming the goat. 
the greatest of all time, becoming the GOAT. Father, would you speak to us? These people need to hear a word. So would the same God that showed up and spoke to Moses through a burning bush, would that God show up right now? Stand in my body, think through my mind, speak with my tongue. Those things you'd have us know, say, and do, encourage us, challenge us, but ultimately change us. Save someone's soul today. Bring sinners back to repentance. It's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. And amen. There's a book many of us in this room have read. It is a book simply entitled, The Old Man and the Sea. It's a classic written by Ernest Hemingway. In this book, we're introduced to the protagonist, a guy by the name of Santiago, who is, you guessed it, an old man. He spends much of his time in this book, you guessed it, out at sea. In fact, the first 84 consecutive days he spends at sea, Santiago catches nothing. Now, God bless Santiago. I ain't got that kind of patience. If I spend 84 minutes fishing and don't catch nothing, the Lord ain't in it. We packing up and getting back to the house. Are you kidding me? I'm going to watch the Cowboys lose or something. But anyways, 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 anyways. Well, I done lost half of y'all already, but call me Stephen A. But anyways, anyways. But on the 85th day, the next day, Santiago not only catches a fish, he catches the biggest fish he's ever seen in his life, this gigantic marlin. He immediately thinks when he catches this marlin that now finally his, his existence matters. Now he's going to get back to shore and he's going to be the talk of the town. Everyone's going to laud him with accolades and, and encouragements. He's got greatness. But there's one problem. Santiago is an old man. He doesn't have the strength to pull the marlin into the boat. He doesn't have the capacity, the wherewithal, the resources to handle this greatness. And so what he now decides to do is he decides to tie this marlin uh, next to the boat. It's still in the sea. And he takes his spear and runs it through and kills the marlin. But now that introduces a greater problem because now blood is leaking out of the marlin into the sea. And sharks are now smelling it. And they're starting to eat away at the marlin so much so that when Santiago pulls up at the dock back at shore, all he has to show for his efforts is the decaying carcass the skeleton of the marlin. Greatness was in his hands, but greatness eluded him. It's here where Hemingway scholars tell us that Ernest Hemingway is actually being somewhat autobiographical. Hemingway writes this book, The Old Man in the Sea, right at the tail end of his life. He is looking through the rearview mirror at his own life and realizes, I am Santiago. I have caught greatness in my life. He's checked seemingly every box. Wealth, check. Romance, check. Fame, check. And yet here he is at the end of his life and he's practically broke. He's been married and divorced more times than we can count. He's clinically depressed to the point where he will ultimately end up killing himself. He commits suicide. What Hemingway is trying to show us in this book the old man in the sea is that when you and I try to find greatness in the seas of this life, 
we will never fully grasp it. You and I will never be satisfied with the temporary things of money and possessions and houses and wealth. It is only Jesus Christ and Him alone that can scratch us where our souls itch. But nonetheless, Jesus Christ, in a very counterintuitive way, has called all of us to pursue greatness. Our text is all about greatness. Again, he says in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one, here it is, greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is encouraging you and I to be the goat. He is encouraging you and I to be people who go after the right kind of greatness. The idea of the word great here, it's Matthew's writing in Greek, it's really the idea of extent, the idea of significance. In a line of trees, it's the tallest tree, it's the biggest lake, it's the fastest car. Jesus is encouraging us to live lives of significance. He's encouraging us to live lives of meaning and value. He wants us to go after greatness. Now, I know this sounds incredibly narcissistic. Maybe some of you are thinking of Muhammad Ali, the self-proclaimed greatest of all time, and there's something that, that we naturally bristle at with that. Uh, others of us, there's the goat conversation, we're having it in basketball. Uh, some of you have the blasphemous audacity to say that LeBron James is the greatest of all time. At the end, we'll be offering an altar call, and I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ. Because truly, you are not saved. But there's a few of us who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb who would say that Michael Jordan, the original 23, is the goat. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hallelujah. So we're having these conversations about who the real goat is. Uh, we're just coming off the Olympics. And I think Simone Biles has really helped us to lengthen the conversation here. Simone taught us that being the goat is not just about what you do on the, on the floor of competition, but being the goat is being an advocate for your own mental health. Being the goat is sitting up in the stands and cheering on your teammates. True greatness is not just your performance. There's so much more that comes into that. And so here is Jesus. He is, he is encouraging us to be the goat. And here's what he is saying. Jesus is saying that when you and I commit our lives to him and measure our lives by the metrics of the kingdom of heaven and not the metrics of this world, that you and I will attain true goat status and live the most satisfying life one could ever live and we will leave our marks for all of eternity. I don't know about you, I want that. I absolutely want that. So how do we get it? Our text is all about the places you and I try to find greatness. And greatness can't be found in these four places. But then it ends by showing us the one place where greatness, true greatness can be found. And that's where I want to end. As our text opens, John the Baptist is in jail. Why is he in prison? He's in prison because he is embroiled in the biggest tabloid scandal of his time. There's a political leader by the name of King Herod. If you're new to the Bible, don't let this throw you. The Romans are in charge, but they allowed the Jews a small measure of authority. 
They allowed Herod to be king under their authority of the Jews. Now, King Herod was this immoral leader, so immoral that he seduced his own brother's wife. He took his once sister-in-law from his brother, leading to the dissolution of that marriage, their divorce, and took her now as his own wife. None of these preachers say anything. These preachers are silent. They don't speak out against Herod. They know Herod is crazy. But John is the only one with a biblical backbone who will speak truth to power against the immorality of the political leader of his time. Oh, let me go ahead and go there because it's in the text. Never get so in love with your political party that you can't even critique the sin in your own political party. Republicans have their mess and Democrats have their mess. Need I remind you, we are not the people of the donkey or the elephant. We are the people of the lamb. So here is John the Baptist. He's in jail in our text. He's not free. He is incarcerated. A convicted felon. And Jesus says of this convicted felon, no one born of of women is greater than him. Which tells us this, greatness can never ultimately be found in your situation or circumstances. Greatness can never ultimately be found in what you are going through. I've got some friends of mine, they're going through hell and high water right now. They've lost their job. They're about to lose uh, their home. Their finances are practically depleted. Their kids are out there in the far country living the life of prodigals. I called on them the other day just to check in and see how they're doing and things have not gotten better. They're, they're this couple who loves Jesus and, and the wife is saying to me in the midst of all this hardship, she kind of gives this zinger of a line. She says, Brian, we are learning that circumstances are a horrible foundation to build your life on. Greatness is not found in your situation or circumstances. Someone needs to hear that right now. Someone, maybe you're like John the Baptist. You, you've got a felony on your record. And every time you go to apply for a job, they, they look at you as if you're crazy in the sense of shame you feel. You need to understand at the end of the day, you are not what these hopeful employers say about you. You are what God says about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are someone who is who, who has what's called greatness in them. That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is what God says. Others of you, maybe the shame you're dealing with is your battle with infertility. Maybe you thought you could have kids on your own timetable. And here you are years later still, still struggling in the shame that you feel. God wants you to know you are not your situation. You are not your circumstance. But I want to press this a little bit more. Here is John the Baptist. He is in jail. He sends his disciples on on a mission to find Jesus. And they've got one question from John. They show up and they ask Jesus, 
Hey, Jesus, John wants to know something. Are you the one? In other words, are you the Messiah? Now, if you know anything about John, you want to go, what do you mean? Why are you asking that question? How are you plagued with doubt? John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. There's a story in the book of Luke where Elizabeth, his mother, is pregnant with him. She goes to visit Mary, her cousin, while she's pregnant with Jesus. When John, in utero, senses the presence of Jesus, he starts to do cartwheels in his mama's womb. And you're asking, are you the one? John, you were there at the baptism of Jesus. Not only were you there, you baptized Jesus. You were there when the heavens opened up and the Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove. You heard Jesus' Father, God, say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And now you're plagued with doubt? And you're asking, Are you the one? Oh, I want you to understand, I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. I don't care if you grew up in the church, won all the vacation Bible school memory verse contests. I don't care if you're in a life group. I don't care how long you've been a part of one community church. I don't care if you're serving in ministry, if you're a preacher, a pastor, if you've gone to Bible college or seminary. You keep living and you will hit situations in your life that runs so counter to all that you've learned about God that it will question the very foundations of your faith. You can act all grown and spiritual if you want, but if you're honest with yourself, you will go through something in which you say, are you the one? I've been praying for years about this. Ain't heard nothing. Are you the one? I just left the doctor's office. They tell me I've got cancer. I've been tithing faithfully. Are you the one? Can I be real in this place today? And I love it. Not once does Jesus chastise John for his doubt. Jesus is God enough to handle your doubt? Are you real enough to admit your doubt? See, doubt is not sin. Doubt is uncertainty. And there is no such thing as faith without uncertainty. Faith means I can't see how this is going to work out. Faith means I, 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 can't, I can't see how this is going to play out. Faith means I got questions, but I'm going to keep moving. One step in front of the other. I'm going to keep pushing through. I'm going to be like Peter who got out the boat and did something everyone thought was impossible. He walked on water. Now, Peter gets a bad rap, but listen, God says, oh, you of not no faith, but you of little faith. No faith is those who stayed in the boat handcuffed by the doubt. So the fact that he got out of the water and trusted God. God can handle your doubt. But keep moving. 
I, I, I want to I press further. John says, hey, Jesus, are you the one? Meaning, if you the one, get me up out of here. You got it. You got it. If you the one, send an earthquake, send an angel, do the Jedi mind trick, get me up out this bad boy. If you are who you say you are, why am I still dealing with cancer? If you are who you say you are, why is my child still on drugs? If you are who you say you are, why won't you step into this marriage? I love it. Most scholars tell us that Jesus' answer to this question is based on his first sermon that he ever preached. That sermon is found in Luke 4. Look at it with me and pay attention to the difference. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, at liberty, at liberty, those who are, who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, listen to his response to John's disciples in verse four. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, blessed is those, uh, are those who is not offended by me. Now what's the difference? He leaves out the part about the captives being set free. You know what Jesus is saying? Y'all ain't going to like this. Jesus is saying, yes, I am the one. And no, you ain't getting out of jail. Amen. Yes, I am the one. No, your cancer ain't getting cured. Yes, I am the one. And no, that person who wronged you ain't going to get their just due this side of heaven. That doesn't mean you don't pray. That doesn't mean you don't storm the gates of heaven. That, means, that doesn't mean you don't come by faith, believing. But Jesus is saying, I am not your genie in a bottle. Some of you all are only following Christ for the benefits package. Some of y'all, Jesus is nothing more than a list of potential employers. And you just kind of analyze, well, I kind of like this over here, and this seems to be better than Buddha, and this works out better than this over here, than this over here, than this over here. And then when trouble comes your way and he don't move on your timetable, you out. See, we, we, don't, we don't like this stuff. 
Because what Jesus is doing, he is pronouncing the eulogy of prosperity theology. Prosperity theology is that name it, claim it, confess it and possess it, nab it and grab it, mumbo jumbo. Money cometh. I got a cousin when she first got saved at a church. And I'm going to call his name. She got saved at Creflo Dollars Church. The first thing they asked her was her W-2s from last year. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. And I did not die for your comfort. I died for my glory. And sometimes Jesus looks at some of us and says, I get more glory by entrusting you with a gift. And the gift is called suffering and giving you the strength to show me off in the midst of suffering. I get more glory from that than you pulling up to your brand new house in the greatest car, living in comfort. I have not died that you could pursue the American dream. I have died that you would give me glory. Where is greatness found? It is not found in your circumstances. But neither is it found in your status. Jesus whirls on his heels. He says in the middle of verse 7, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man? Dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. I won't belabor this point. You saw a person in soft clothing, something you go, there's somebody. People who wore soft clothing were associated with the king. More times than not, they were couriers of the king, meaning they delivered messages to and from the king. They were people of importance. Jesus says of John the Baptist, that ain't that brother. You did not look at John. And say, he must be from Plano. (laughs) What did John wear? What did John look like? Matthew 3, 4 tells us, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food wasn't steak. His food was locusts and wild honey. Now I want to talk to you girl dads for a moment. Just imagine with me. You girl dads, you're sitting in your house, knock on the door, you open it up, there's John. Disheveled hair, looks a hot mess, breath has got to be funky, he eats locusts and wild honey. And he says to you, hey sir, I've uh, been dating your daughter and I'm here to ask for your blessing to marry your daughter. 
you go, well, ain't this interesting? I never heard of you. So let's do a quick little interview. What do you do? I'm a preacher. Where's your church? Well, we don't have a building. We meet in the middle of the woods. Well, where do you live? I live right next to my church in the middle of the woods. How are you doing financially? Not that good, sir. I can only afford to eat locusts and wild honey. You Google him and discover he's on his way to prison. He's a convicted felon. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, God bless you. May the Lord keep, keep us between one another, but don't come back here ever again. You cannot marry my daughter. Undeterred, though, this brother comes back a few days later, this time with his cousin named Jesus. Jesus says, I can vouch for him. And you ask Jesus some questions and you find out Jesus is 33 years old, never been married, homeless, rejected by most, and is on his way to being executed. These two individuals, no status, couldn't even get your blessing to marry your daughter, but they are the greatest to have ever lived. See, I know where I'm at. This is the good part of Dallas. This is the good part. I know, I know where I'm at. You know, they put me up at this hotel by some little street called Legacy West or whatever. My wife will never hear of that street. I'm going to come home this afternoon. Well, how was your time? Oh, it was, it was pretty rough, sweetheart. I ate at a Waffle House. And Here's my concern for you. Some of you have bought the world's lie. You think you're important because you got a Lexus. Or you got a Mercedes. You think you're better than. You think you're all that because you got a few letters behind your name. You're pulling up to your nice house. You got the wife and the kids. You fool. But for the grace of God, you could have been born in Soweto, South Africa in the 1980s. There's coming a moment where God will say, give me back my breath. I don't care how many kale salads you've eaten. I don't care how much Jamba juice you've consumed. You will behold him face to face. And if you die young enough, your wife is going to take that money and spend it on the next one. And you have the arrogance to think you are somebody because you measure your stuff by stuff you ain't even taken with you. Naked you were born into this world, and naked you will return. You are not your possessions. Let's go further. Greatness ain't found in your circumstances. It ain't found in your status. It ain't found in your religion. God has authorized four biographies, four definitive biographies on the life of his son, Jesus. They're called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The difference between Matthew's Gospels and the other gospel, Gospels is his audience. Matthew is writing Jews. The Jews are the most religious people to have ever walked the face of the earth. They were in the synagogue every week. 
They were in the temple high and holy days. They were running back and forth from the temple offering sacrifices for their sins. These jokers memorized the first five books of the Bible. Memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. 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 Numbers in Deuteronomy. They memorized them. The average Jew gave on average 20% of their income to the things of God. And yet the fact that Matthew writes his gospel to religious people tells us there is a difference between the gospel and religion. Religion says I do. The gospel says it's done. Religion is works driven. The gospel is grace driven. Religion is about me. The gospel is about God. What this means is You can be religious as the day is long and go to hell. Our text deals with this. Jesus says in verse 16, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. This is an idiom from the day. When you were at a wedding and the DJ played the flute, that was your cue to Cupid shuffle. To the left, to the left. That was your cue. You wobbled. You did the electric slide when you heard the flute. The flute plays, you dances. Jesus says, I played the flute for you. I, I, I brought you the gospel. You did not respond. We sang a dirge. This is an idiom from, from funerals. When you heard the dirge at a funeral, that was your cue to mourn. Jesus says, I brought you the gospel. You did not respond. He's not talking to irreligious people, partying it up at the bar. He's talking to church attending people. He's talking to people in church every week. He's talking to life group leaders. He's talking to deacons, to elders, to pastors, to preachers who know more Bible than what they will ever do. He says, you are operating under the illusion that dropping a few dollars in the offering plate somehow buys your way into heaven. Your virginity does not get you into heaven. Neither does your immorality get you into hell. In that context, Jesus now says something really hard. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, verse 12, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. What does this mean? He says, the kingdom of heaven is being abused. Who's it being abused by? In context, religious people. The spirit of religion says, I can have Jesus on my terms. Let me explain this to you. Suppose I'd say to you, hey, I want to take you out for a great steak dinner, my dime. Let's go over here to Del Frisco's. We sit down, the waiter comes over, takes our order, and you order the mother load of all fillets. I high five you, absolutely. Then the waiter says, how do you want it cooked? Now, I'm in a room with mostly black people. My white brothers and sisters don't laugh too hard at this, okay? (laughs) My people, we do a lot of things well. We don't order steak well. (laughs) This, This person says to me, 
He says to the waiter, I want it well done. I said, no, 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 no. That cow did not die for you to burn it. You are, you are ruining the experience. If you want to maximize the taste, we're going to go with medium at least. I didn't bring you here to get a burger. I'm paying 50 bucks for you to have a burger. But you argue with, no, it's got to be well done. No, that's not the way it was supposed No, I'm going to have it my way. Jesus says the problem with many Christians or many people who think they're Christian is they are ordering the kingdom well done. You think you can have Jesus while you shack up with your girlfriend. You think you can have Jesus while you live a greedy, entitled life. You think you can have Jesus while you raise hell Monday through Saturday and then come up in here acting as if you're all pious. That is ordering the kingdom well done. Greatness cannot be found in your circumstances. It cannot be found in your status. It cannot be found in your religion. It cannot be found in other people's opinions of you. Jesus and John were rejected. John dies in prison. He is beheaded. Jesus goes and dies on a cross. If you're feeling rejected by others, chances are you are right in the center of God's will. So as we go home, where's greatness found? Verse 11, Jesus says, here's where greatness is found. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wait a minute, Jesus. How in the world can you say John the Baptist is the greatest to have ever lived born of women? What about Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith who left Ur of the Chaldeas? Are you saying John's greater than him? Yes. What about Moses, that legendary liberator and lawgiver who opened up the Red Sea and what is the greatest single act in the Old Testament? Are you saying John the Baptist is better than he? Yes. What about Elijah and Elisha, whose ministries were marked by the supernatural? John's wasn't. Are you saying John is better than them? Yes. What about Esther, that great woman of faith who stood on behalf of her people for uh, before Ahasuerus for such a time as this? Are you saying that John the Baptist is greater than she? Yes. Because John the Baptist had something different than all of the rest of them. His life was called... To prepare the way of the Lord. He was called to be inextricably tied to Jesus. And because Jesus is the greatest ever, whoever links their life with Jesus, even if he says you are the least in the kingdom of heaven, you will be the greatest of all time. And what makes you great is not what you drive. What makes you great is not the amount of zeros in the bank account. What makes you great is one name and one name only. It is Jesus Christ.
So I want to ask you, do you have him? I didn't ask you, do you have religion? I didn't ask you what church you attend. Is your life intimately connected to Christ? I don't come offering you religion. There's some of you, you have been operating under the illusion of salvation because your religion has camouflaged your real eternal state. Nothing about you says you're saved. You have no heart for God. You are here out of ritual. Your affections are not stirred for him. You have a form of godliness, 2 Timothy, but you deny its power. I'm not saying you're perfect. We all sin. We all fall short. We all need grace. But here's how I know that I'm saved. When I sin, I have conviction. If you can walk into sin with no hesitation, if you can enjoy sin and think nothing of it, you might be religious, but you ain't saved. So I want to call you. Others of you, you're here and you're saved. We've just lost our focus. We've just drifted. I've been there. I've done that. I've gotten caught up. I was just praying the other day. I spend money lavishly on myself and pride myself in giving God the bare minimum. God, help my focus. We've all been there. And so maybe God's saying to some of you, yeah, you're saved, but you've lost your focus. I want to pray. There's going to be people lining down front. And I'm going to give a call. Some of you, the call is give your life to Christ. Repent of your sins. Repent of your religion. And link up with Jesus and find true greatness. Others of you, you are saved, but you've you've lost your focus. And you need to make Jesus the center. Father, I bless you right now in this place. I believe you have been speaking. Spirit of the Lord, would you walk the aisles? Jesus, I hold you to your word. And your word says that if you be lifted up, you would draw all people unto you. I've done my best to lift you up. Now will you do the drawing? I'm not here to manipulate you at all, but the Bible says the day that you hear his voice, today, harden not your hearts. Tomorrow is not promised. Today is the day to respond. So if you're saying, that's me, I'm not saved, or if you're saying, that's me, I am saved, I've lost my focus, I want to come and pray, would you come right now? Would you come? I believe the Spirit of God has been moving and speaking. Would you just slip out of the aisles where you are? Would you come? Would you come? Yes, yes, I see you up there. Yes, 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 yes. Bible says heaven rejoices over one. Would you just give God thanks for those who are coming?
Yes. 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 Someone else. Someone else. Yes. 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 They're still coming. They're still coming. They're still coming. I'll wait just a few more moments. They're still coming. They're still coming. They're still coming. They're still coming. I'll wait a few more moments. We're not here to manipulate you. They're still coming. Yes, still coming. Still coming. Still coming. Still coming. Still coming. As they're praying down front, some are waiting in line. Would you just stretch a hand towards them and let us pray together? If you still feel prompted to come, you can still come during this prayer time. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless you for every man, woman, boy, and girl who have come. We don't know all the specifics behind why they are here. And we don't need to know, but your spirit has been stirring. And we thank you that they are responding to the work of your spirit. God, in the name of Jesus, would you... Would you recalibrate their focus? That they will lock in on what really matters. And what really matters is really who really matters. It's Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in him, Romans 8 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no condemnation. As far as the east is from the west is as far as our sins have been removed from us. That the gospel says we are saved and sustained, not by our works, but by your grace. Thank you for grace. And grace says that we can get another chance and another chance and another chance. So bless them, Father God, we pray. Do your work. It's in Christ's name we ask all of these things. Amen.